it was just so crazy. And like, I remember going through one of the potholes that sent us off the road and we ended up in this like big muddy ditch where we had to get pulled out. At one point, I remember actually there was like a little window. I was like, okay, if this tips over, can I fit out this window? Like, will I be able to get out of here? (laughs) Welcome to Not So Bon Voyage, the podcast all about when shit goes wrong on the road. This is our Voyager chat series where we interview travelers about their wildest travel stories. We're your hosts. I'm Christine. I'm Jules. And you just heard from our guests on the show today, Amanda King-Smith and Ryan Ferguson. Amanda and Ryan are a traveling couple from Alberta, Canada, and fellow podcasters at the World Wanderers podcast. They've been on the road since 2011, amassing a number of crazy stories. Today, they're telling us about their wild story traveling from La Paz, Bolivia to a rural Amazon village with lots of bumps and roadblocks in between. Let's get into it. Hey there, Voyagers. We are here with Amanda Kingsmith and Ryan Ferguson. Amanda and Ryan are long-term travelers and fellow travel podcasters with lots of stories to tell from their many years on the road, especially a few not-so-bon voyages. Thank you for coming on, Amanda and Ryan. Let's kick off today's episode with you telling the Voyagers a little bit about yourselves, your podcast, and your travels. Thanks so much for having us. We're really excited to be here today. Yeah, thanks for having us. And so, like you guys said, we're Amanda and Ryan, and we are the hosts of the World Wanderers podcast. And we are travelers and lovers of adventure and the world. And we started traveling together in 2011 after we graduated from college. And we just haven't really stopped since then. We took a little break to do the corporate life that was expected of us for a couple of years. And we realized quickly that that really was not for us. We saved our money, quit our jobs sold all our stuff, headed down to South America for a couple of months in 2014. And on that trip, that was right before we started The World Wanders. And we really looked at how can we make this a more sustainable part of our lives. It sounds a lot like our story. Yeah, it's really it's similar, really similar our to our story. story. Well. It's like same timing, like South America, same thing, but with our blog, being in the same place thinking, how can we make this sustainable? How can we make it a part of our life? Yeah, yeah. yeah we're definitely feeling that like pull of having this really amazing experience and then spending two years kind of grinding away at something that we didn't really feel connected with, but obviously was necessary, right, to make a living. And then going back to this feeling of like feeling alive, feeling amazing, enjoying our travels and thinking at that point in 2014, like how can we combine these two things? How can we make something that's sustainable that allows us to feel like we feel now, but all the time. And so kind of from that point, we started working towards it. And when we came back to Canada, we moved to a small mountain town and we kind of focused more on having a life that we enjoyed and a little bit less of like having a career that gave us status and all of those other trappings. And then from that point, kind of just started working on ways to make a living that allows us to travel. And it's kind of a, a long, windy adventure that I won't bore you guys with right now, but eventually took us to um, 2017, where we started, um, I guess the end of 2016, really, where we started to work and travel at the same time. We went to Asia for eight months and then came back to Canada and went to Mexico. And have really just been um, nomads since then for, I guess, going on almost four years now. Nice. I see you spent some time in Bali. Yeah, we spent a couple months in Bali when we were in Asia in, I guess it would have been early 2017. Nice. Bali is one of our favorite spots. We usually spend three or four months a year in Changu. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we love it there. (laughs) Honestly, if it was easier to move to Bali, we'd probably be tuning in from Bali right now. We probably never would have left. (laughs) Yeah, we're supposed to be in Bali now. This is usually the time we spend in Bali, but unfortunately, 
that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's funny. There's a lot of parallels between our stories and it's always great to connect with other couples and other travelers and content creators. So now we know a little bit more about yourself, you guys, we're going to jump into five quick questions to warm up before we jump into our main stories. We call it our rapid five and we're going to kick it off with what is the worst thing that you've ever eaten on your travels? So one of the worst things I've ever eaten on my travels was when we were on a tour on the salt flats in Bolivia and they pretty much just fed us like reheated hot dogs for like three days and they would just pair them with a variety of different things. (laughs) Like one night we'd have, you know, boiled hot dogs with rice and some sort of sauce and the next night it'd be with pasta and just kind of rotated like that. And I liked hot dogs before then and I don't think I've touched a hot dog since that trip because (laughs) reheated hot dogs with food that hot dogs shouldn't be a part of is really, really gross. <laughs> so you tell me there's no reheated hot dog cookbook coming out in the The world wanders <laughs> are not putting out a reheated hot dog cookbook. <laughs> okay, because I feel like there's so much potential there. Yeah. What yeah, about you, Ryan? Me, I'm actually kind of similar region. Um, and it's not actually probably like the worst tasting thing I've ever eaten, but just kind of the the duration of eating similar things. So we went on a tour of the Colca Canyon in Arequipa, Peru. And during that tour, we ate, God, we must have eaten it like lunch and dinner every single day. It was rice, cheese, and potatoes kind of just like mixed together into one thing, Mm. which isn't like, I mean, if you had to like eat that because you were like starving, it's not that bad, but just eating it like day after day after day, it ruins like food for you. You feel like you're kind of like Neo or not Neo, but some guy in the matrix getting that like gunk pumped into you to just, uh, to keep living. (laughs) Just fuel, just fuel me, fuel me. We can relate. We lived in Peru for six months and we ate a lot of carbs. They're really into the rice and the potatoes and the pasta. In the same dish. Like in the same dish and you're just like carved out afterwards. So I I feel you on that one. And then eating rice and beans for literally every single meal for days, weeks on end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. uh, Least favorite country. Okay, so I'm just going to continue with the trend of talking about Bolivia, and we're going to talk about Bolivia more. And I feel bad when I was thinking about this. I was like, you know what? I love everywhere we've been for different reasons. But when I think about this question, I think about what places made me uncomfortable, what places I maybe got sick in, what places when I think about visiting again makes me feel like I really have to push myself outside of my comfort zone to go back there. And Bolivia was one of the first ones that came to mind for me. If somebody said, hey, you have to go live in Bolivia for the next six months, I mean, of course, there's a part of me that would be like, that's so cool. I get to explore all these cool areas and connect with the culture and speak Spanish and learn about this. But then there'd also be you know, this this deep set part of me that was like, I don't want to live in Bolivia for six months. Like I got food poisoning there. <laughs> I ate boiled hot dogs for three days. So I'm going to I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and say that there's a little bit of a love hate with Bolivia. Fair enough. We, and this is yeah, it's not like full hate on any countries. We always like to preface that. And I know a lot of people kind of come on here and answer that question and feel a little bit uncomfortable, because they don't want to throw shade at like a specific country. But it's just like of all the countries, which is your least favorite, you know, I, I think that's for a various good different reasons. <laughs> yeah. different reasons. That's a good reason. Yeah. 
Ryan? Yeah, for me, honestly, I'm kind of one of those people who I'm like, it's really hard to say. Also, I'll tell you kind of why. Um, So we had an episode on our podcast about Taiwan, and we had had this experience of like being in Japan and really loving Japan and then going to Taiwan after and kind of feeling like a little bit less excited. And we expressed that on our podcast episode about Taiwan. And since then, our iTunes reviews have always like, almost always have like a new comment in there about how we're terrible human beings because we didn't like Taiwan. Um, So it's it's kind of scary to be like, this is my least favorite country. (laughs) And I think it's funny when you think about it too, because a lot of the places that come to mind for me as least favorite countries aren't places that I necessarily would be lowest on my list of not wanting to move to. So for example, we didn't have like a great experience traveling in Taiwan, but Taiwan would be way higher on my list of places to live than Bolivia. Um, And so for me, I'm going to say my least favorite country was Taiwan. Taiwan. <laughs> Is there anything you want to Please take? Uh, anything you want to say in this moment to <laughs> say to the Taiwanese people? Because we have a huge Taiwanese listenership. <laughs> That's no, I'm true. kidding. <laughs> you guys are basically fucked now. <laughs> Although I do recognize Taiwan as a country. So hey, that's the first step. Oh, well, now now China, now you've pissed off the Chinese as well. <laughs> We're never going back to Asia. Yeah, yeah. You're not just welcome back. Just, just ask iTunes Taiwan to just forget All about it. All your listeners are just like, we hate these guys. We kind of liked them to start with. Now we hate them. <laughs> well, you know, if you while you're on a roll, you might as well piss someone else off and tell us what is the most overrated landmark or attraction that you've visited. And don't go easy on it. This one was really <laughs> hard. This one is is really hard to think about. And there's there was a couple that came to mind, but one that particularly comes to mind for me is Mount Rushmore. I feel like Mount Rushmore is kind of put on the media and in TV and stuff as this like really, really big thing. And I went there and I was super excited to go see it. And my first thought was, huh, it's a little small. It's not like that big. Really? But then I was, you know, did the museum and stuff. And I was like, wow, people did this by hand. So that's why I feel kind of bad saying that because it is super, super impressive, especially once you learn about it. I think I just thought it was going to be way bigger. And I have no idea why I had that in my head because people chiseled that by hand. But going there, I was a little bit like, huh, it's not as big as I thought it was going to be. It's probably because of the Richie Rich reference back in the day. That's the only <laughs> reference I have to Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Is that the Richie Rich? Yeah, the Richie Rich movie where he has his parents have the same Mount Rushmore thing carved into the mountains. That's about the only reference I have. Never been there, never seen it. It does look, I've never been either, but it does look like it would it be like gigantic. Be yeah, I would be surprised too. It's not that, it's not that big. Like, it is big, but I think that if you've only ever seen it in TV and movies, at least for me, like walking up to it, I was like, oh, there it is. I can see it in a distance because there's this long kind of area with a bunch of flags and stuff like that that you can walk and you can go see. And as I got closer, I was just like, this thing is not very large. That's what she said. <laughs> exactly. I just thought it was going to be bigger. <laughs> we had the same thing last week. Someone was talking about the Mona Lisa. They had the exact same thing they were yeah. talking about or the other week they were talking about it. But I do feel like people know that the Mona Lisa, I feel like the jig is up on the Mona Lisa. Like people know now that it's tiny. I had no idea. I've never <laughs> it seen it. It is really small. I yeah. have been there. I would never go see it now. I'd be that disappointed. 
I was going to say the Mona Lisa is so weird. And I don't know if the museum's done this on purpose, but it's like, at least when I went there, it was the Mona Lisa's on one wall. She's so tiny. The wall is gigantic. There's all these people standing there. And you turn around and on the other wall is one of the biggest paintings in the entire museum. And you're like, <laughs> you put one of the biggest paintings. Seriously. Just to really rub yeah, it in. Yeah, really small painting and everyone's looking at the <laughs> tiny one. It's so weird. <laughs> They're like, just for comparison, you can either look at this huge one or you can look at this teeny tiny one. They did Mona Lisa dirty. I feel bad for her. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Ron? Yeah, I'm actually going to change my answer. So I was going to say the Eiffel Tower, but this Mona Lisa talk actually reminded me of another thing that's in that same area, and that's the Palace of Versailles. Um, I remember going there and just being really, really not enjoying it. It was like being at a house party full of like people you don't really know in this like strangely opulent <laughs> building that like is really hard to connect with. The gardens were beautiful. I really loved that. But the whole actual palace itself, I found very, very overrated. Hmm. Never haven't been there either, but it looks it looks gorgeous, like from what I've seen in you know TV and movies. But that's good to know. It's really okay. be- it's really Overrated. really beautiful from the outside, and like Ryan said, the gardens are really stunning. I think that if you had an appreciation for that time period or knew more about maybe architecture or fabrics or clothing, it might be a little bit more interesting. I think what and not to speak for Ryan, but part of what frustrated him is we had this like one of those, not like a walkie-talkie, but one of those guides that you hold to your ears in your language. But we couldn't go at the speed we wanted because there were so many people. So you're kind of being shuffled through like a like a sheep a little bit. Mm. Yeah, that that definitely ruins the experience. If those manufactured, yeah. real structured. Totally. It's like Disneyland. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. Okay, worst place you've ever slept on your travels? Maybe I'll, I'll jump the gun and go first on this one. So when we were in Cambodia, we found this place in Phnom Penh on, I think, our first night there. And I remember booking it and we paid, I can't even remember, like $5 a night. Yeah, it was really, really affordable. So it was in, insanely cheap. We show up. Um, we need to get visas for Vietnam because we're going there in, in not too many days. And so we give our passports over to the hotel so they can work and facilitate getting the Vietnamese visas. Um and then we go walk around a tiny bit, come back to our apartment, or not our apartment, it's just a tiny little room with two beds. And in the beds at whatever this is, 9.30, 10 p.m. at night, we realize there's bed bugs. We see one, then we see two, three, four, oh. five, six. Oh. And so we're like, oh, crud. Like, what do we do? I guess we go ask if we can change rooms. So we go down. The people who ran the front desk who spoke English are gone. There's now just kind of like a night watch guy. He's actually sleeping on the balcony of the building, like, not even inside, just like outside High on the ground. He's got a mosquito net. And we're like, oh, man, can we really like ask this guy? But we were like, oh, there's bugs in the bed. And he's like, OK. And we're like, like, babe. He's like, yeah, there's bugs yeah. in my bed as well. What are you going to do about it? He's like, I don't even have a bed. Um, but he didn't say it because he couldn't really help us. And we're like, OK, I guess we just got to sleep here. And so we go. And at that point, we were traveling oh. with um, those like sh- some... I don't know why we were traveling with these, but some places still like at hostels, some random hostels, you had to bring your own sheets. So we had these like pullover sheets that were kind of like sleeping bags, but were like a sheet. And so we like kept all our clothes on because we knew like, oh, if a bug gets on, we can, you know, keep it in the clothes and not on our body. And um, tucked ourselves into these like sleeping bag sheets and just kind of like slept there all night. And then the next day we're able to change and get out of there. Wow. You guys are brave. I think I would have slept on the floor. <laughs> I cannot handle the bed bugs. I would have just found a bar and stayed up all night and drank <laughs> instead. 
and then probably eventually passed out in the bed. <laughs> and gotten a million and bugs. Got, yeah, just got destroyed. Yeah, we probably <laughs> should have done that. And honestly, my, my answer is the exact same. It was by far the worst sleeping experience we've ever had. And it was just, we just didn't know what to do. I mean, this was our first trip back in 2011. This is our first, I think within our first 10 days of being in Asia, we had been in Bangkok for a couple of days and then headed on over to Cambodia. And so we were just so uncertain and so outside of our comfort zones and we had never dealt with anything like that. And then it was so eye-opening to go down to the front desk and want to make this complaint like we found bugs in our bed and this guy just didn't comprehend and we were just like, oh my gosh, like, can we really be like so privileged right now that we, you know... <laughs> like ask for a new room or something and it also seemed like the place was under construction maybe or something like that there wasn't very many people staying there and it, it seemed like maybe they were doing some renovations hopefully or something like that but it was crazy because at that point we didn't have cell phones with us and we were we were traveling with a lonely planet book and this place was actually recommended in lonely planet and so we were like okay so from now on we use the ipad and go on hostel world and we really look at like all the good reviews we don't just trust the book because you know it's a book it's outdated they can't republish it every time you know a place gets bad or something like that but yeah it was kind of scary because they had our passports so we're like we can't really just leave because we don't have passports to check into a new place and I mean, I guess we just stay. And one thing Ryan didn't mention is that we also didn't have air conditioning. Cambodia is so hot. It's oh. so humid. Mm, we are hot. completely covered. Like we were wearing like socks, pants, long sleeve shirts. I had oh like something God. over my head because I didn't want the bugs to get in my hair. And then we're <laughs> in these sleep socks. These uh, sleep sacks. So it's like we are sweating our faces off and we're in – Ryan said there was two beds. There was only one bed. So we're in the same bed and we're like trying to stay like close to each other but not too close because we know that the bed bugs become more active with body heat and it was just – it was so bad. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. You're like trying not to sweat but you're just like sweating your ass yeah, off. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. That sounds like a terrible night's sleep. Oof. Yeah, Cambodia is hot as well. We saw bed bugs in Cambodia. We did. Siam Reap. Yep. Yeah. They're everywhere. <laughs> dirty backpack, being transported by dirty backpackers. Yeah, because they like latch onto your clothes and like your backpack and everything and people put their backpacks on the bed and then they just spread from hostel to hostel. Yeah, from that point, remember, we kind of, it, we kind of set a rule for ourselves of like, we're always going to dig through the hostel world reviews and if anyone posts about bed bugs anytime within like the last six months, we're not going to that hostel. That is a very good rule of thumb because Just do search bed bugs. Yeah, that's a great idea. Actually, that's a good tip because bed bugs are like they can be really hard to get rid of. You basically have to like burn them, I think, or put suffocate your, them. Suffocate and... them. Yeah. So that's a good tip. Yeah. Okay. And to round off our rapid fire questions, this is a question to both of you: Have you ever pooped your pants while traveling? I am so grateful to say no to this question. <laughs> as well for me, <laughs> nice. I have never. Thankfully, and it's one of those things like with all of our travels and all of our, we've done some like crazy long bus rides and had been like really sick at points, but thankfully have avoided that. Okay. okay. We, we still have yet to have someone who has confessed or owned up to it. <laughs> We're over five We're now. Over five we did minutes. have someone admit to um, pooping his pants in a Walmart, but that was not. It was local travel. <laughs> that was local. It was, uh, that was local. That was within the local sphere. So. <laughs> That's amazing. 
Okay, now that we're warmed up, we will get into your not-so-bon voyage. So today, your story is taking us to Bolivia, a beautiful South American country that's often overshadowed by its more well-known neighbors, Peru, Chile, Argentina. But Bolivia offers many exciting adventures for travelers looking to get off the beaten path. It, like many other quest, uh, countries, also offers some amazing opportunities for things to go wrong on the road, which is where you fill in the blanks today. So tell us about your time in Bolivia. Let's really paint the picture for our voyages. What were we up to and what went wrong? Yeah, absolutely. So in 2014, like we've mentioned, we were on a six-month backpacking trip in South America and we went to Bolivia from Chile. So we traveled to northern Chile, taking the Salt Flats tour into Bolivia, and we were spending a couple of weeks traveling through Bolivia. And we were really, really excited for this portion of our trip because you know, we'd heard great things from other backpackers on the road. I mean, you guys know from traveling through South America, it's like you meet people going the opposite direction. They tell you about all these cool things. Nobody told me about the soggy hot dogs, but they told me <laughs> about these other magical things about Bolivia. And we got to La Paz and we spent quite a few days there kind of exploring the area. And at the guest house that we were staying, they had this sort of picture up on the wall or this flyer up on the wall for this trip to Las Pampas, which is the wetlands in in Ruernabaque. And so we inquire about it. I mean, I was immediately interested. It said, you know, fish piranhas, swim with pink dolphins, hear the howler monkeys. I was like, that sounds amazing. We've got to do this thing. So we inquire about it. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's just like a quick flight over the mountains. Then you get there. It's beautiful. You'll be remote. You'll eat good food. It's going to be this really great experience. And so I convinced Ryan that we should do it. And we booked the trip super, super last minute. Didn't have that much time to prepare and then, you know, got to work heading on our way. And I think something that's important to know about this story is that this is actually like one of our favorite memories. And in the moment, there was a lot of things that were really frustrating and unideal about it. But one of the things that Bolivia particularly has really taught us, and this is my my sort of love-hate with it, is that sometimes the bad experiences or the the challenging experiences actually make for some of your best memories and some of your you know best travels and they're the times where you get to grow the most that's that's definitely consistent with a lot of our stories a lot of people's even the ones we tell and the ones we interview that usually it's the ones that in the moment you're thinking this fucking sucks <laughs> and then when you look back and you retell it to other people you think to yourself um, like that was a very formative experience in my travel journey and my personal development and just a really good story. But at the time, it sucks. And those are the ones that you remember, right? Just the normal days where everything goes right. You're like, okay, that's kind of forgettable. But when shit hits the fan and things go crazy, that's when it's like, I will remember this for the rest of my life. And I'm going to go home and tell all my friends and family about it because it was so crazy. Yeah. So that's basically, I feel like we need to take your clip of what you just said and use that for our podcast because that was like, like a perfect summation of why we tell these stories. Oh, yeah. Feel free to, you know, split that up. Say it yourselves. Go ahead. <laughs> cool I'm just going to steal that. <laughs> Quick copyright it. Yeah, 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 for sure. You can trademark it. <laughs> I won't be allowed to use it again. Um, but yeah, so, so something that's also important to know is that, you know, how we think about tours, you know, we're from Canada originally. So we we have like a different idea about how tours work in general, like, you know, we're, 
we're going to pay for something. That's what we're going to get. We're going to show up at a certain time. Things are going to go as planned. And by this point, we had been in South America for like four months. We probably should have known that, you know, nothing really happens as planned in South America and particularly in Bolivia. Yet, you know, I was excited about this. I convinced Ryan it was a good idea and we headed on our way. So I'll let Ryan kind of take it from here. He told me the bus didn't show up. Excuse me, sir. Is the bus supposed to be leaving at 11 o'clock? <laughs> Wasn't on time. Shocking. Wasn't on time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We like to kind of say that, like, we think of it as like the tours, the product. But when you go on a tour, especially like in a place like Bolivia, it kind of feels like you're the product that's being purchased <laughs> and sold. Um, so yeah, the flight from Bolivia uh, from La Paz to Runabake is, is quite short. And it's interesting because you think of Bolivia, I think for most of us, we probably think of those high elevation parts of Bolivia, of maybe cold, the, the Andes, La Paz, places like that. But a large part of Bolivia is actually tropical. It's in the Amazon basin. So a quick flight, but you get in this, I think it was maybe an eight-seater, two-prop plane or one-prop plane, fly over these incredibly high mountains. I remember Amanda thinking that, it, it was over for us <laughs> when we got on that plane. Like this thing cannot <laughs> yeah. get over these mountains. We've told too many stories on our podcast about flights that have gone down, especially oh, like those in the little Andes, planes. Those little planes. Oh, they yeah. make me so nervous. I don't nervous. think we'll ever fly in the, one of those planes again. So, <laughs> yeah, one of them. Uh, there was a crash uh, only a couple of weeks ago, I think, in Bolivia of a small plane with a number of. Um, I don't know. They weren't tourists. I think it was Spanish citizens who were trying to take a flight from one place to another to get a humanitarian oh, flight. That's too Ouch. bad. Yeah, but thankfully for us, we were all right. We we made it through. And then as you're coming into Runabake, um, you see kind of jungle as far as the eye can see. And I kid you not, the airport in Runabake is actually a house. Um, <laughs> you land on this field. I think there was like a cow in, in one ditch, maybe some kids <laughs> off in the distance playing by the landing strip. You land, you get off. And it's actually a house that you walk through and you come out on the other side and on where the there's like a big tree kind of out front where like the front yard would have used to be. And there's a little shack that's like the airport bar. It's amazing. That's awesome. Um, this might have changed since 2014. But yeah, it probably was hasn't the, the wildest <laughs> airport ever. That's so cool. And so we get out and kind of just like, you know, friendly, passive young Canadians that we were um, are just waiting around for you know, some sign of what's supposed to happen. The other people on a tour, except for one guy, all get picked up. And so after maybe like 20 minutes, we're like, huh, this is kind of weird. Again, we don't have like cell phones, so we can't really call anybody. But we ask around about someone and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, people come pick you up. And so we asked this Czech guy um, who's there, are you going on a tour to Las Pampas? And he's like, yeah. We're like, oh, what company are you going with? And he says the name of something that we're not on. Um, and so one thing about doing tours you realize is that you do all this research you find out which companies are the best you book a tour with that company and then you kind of just end up hoping that you're actually going to be with that company um, and so we asked this guy what he's going with he says a different company we're like okay i guess we're going somewhere different eventually some guy shows up um, and he tells us all to get in his truck and we're like oh that's weird we're going on different tours but i guess we'll go along we get into this super beat up old ford bronco Oh, no, sorry, it's not a Ford Bronco. It's a Toyota 4Runner. It's blue. It looks like it's been shabbily painted <laughs> with house paint, falling apart um, at the seams. We get in, we kind of like bump around Runabake until we drop off this check guy at, at a different office. And our driver takes us to um, 
takes us to this other office where there's a couple of people waiting. We get out of the car and we're like, oh, thank God we're not taking that car on this tour because we didn't really know where we were going. We get out, we sit at this office for a while, kind of again, wondering like, hey, we're tour is supposed to leave right from the airport. It's now an hour and a half later. We're still sitting around wondering what's going to happen. And then like, wouldn't you know it, this Czech guy pops back up at our tour and he's in <laughs> the same truck with the same guy again. We're like, how did this guy get of back course. here? I thought he was with a different company. <laughs> and you're like, the tour's actually already started, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so then, much to our dismay, that same driver is like, hey, everybody, get in the car. We're all leaving. And so oh, this no. old Toyota 4Runner that I don't even know how this thing's still running with jerry-rigged seats in where the trunk used to be is now the home to eight backpackers who are going on this tour out to the wetlands. Oh, That's pretty God. much how it happens. Like you were saying, you know, you, you shop around for tours and you try and make sure you get the one that you were supposed to. But really, they're all just this like different fronts for exactly the same tour. There's one guy who runs out, who's out there running the tour and you've got all the different officers that take a commission. But really... You just end up in the same spot anyway. And oftentimes you find out that everybody paid a slightly different price. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, it depends how they saw you coming. They're like, uh, I'll probably get you at about 150 overcharge. Uh. <laughs> yeah. It's so common in South America. It's just wild. It's wild. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's nice to know we're not the only ones who experience that. But oh, no, no. yeah, so, so to continue our story, we get in this Jeep and you know, Ryan and I are sitting in two different rows because I'm, you know, a little bit smaller than him. I'm shorter and stuff. And so me and I think two other girls are in the very back. And this is a fully jerry-rigged seat. Like it's not a proper seat that should be there. There's no seatbelts, of course. It's too small for the average sized human. So it's not up to the Bolivian safety standards. I don't, I don't think it was up to any safety yeah. standards. It's like, <laughs> as we go on this road, we're like whacking our heads and stuff. And, you know, Ryan kind of painted the picture of this Jeep. So now you put this or this, this Toyota forerunner. Uh, and so you put this, this vehicle on this road and it's essentially this dirt road that has space for maybe like one and a half lanes, but there's kind of two lanes of traffic coming, but there must've been a lot of rain because it's super muddy and it's super potholy. And so there's oh, no. like massive potholes. Like it looks like moguls on a ski hill. Like you would be <laughs> doing like little jumps on here, like dirt breaker or like if there was snow skiers dream for like Oof. this old Jeep and a bunch of backpackers who are hitting their heads on the roof this is not a dream and at this point we have no idea how long this trip is going to be i still don't know if where we were going to was like 50 kilometers or like 150 kilometers or 10 kilometers i have no idea all i know is that we were in this jeep for what felt like forever and as we're going like the driver basically sucks i feel like there's no other way to kind of sugarcoat (laughs) that he's awful he's like behaving so strangely to the point where you know us in the back are kind of like is he drunk because he's like laughing as he goes up and over these bumps and at one point he's like driving so fast and he's passing this vehicle and then this other vehicle is coming this other way he has to veer off kind of the side of the road but there's such massive bumps in the mud that he like hits one of these bumps really hard and we kind of get a little bit stuck and so then he's oh, trying no. to get us like out of this and the, the car is making horrible noises. It's like basically falling apart. And we're getting pretty concerned because, 
you know, we've been in Ruanabake super excited for our tour to start for like three hours at this point, And we feel like we've barely made it anywhere. And at this point, I felt like for most of the day that I'm going to die. Like I felt like I was going to die on the <laughs> plane ride. I felt like I was going to die in that short trip <laughs> in the vehicle. Stress. Yeah. And then we get back in this vehicle and we're driving along. I have no trust in this driver. I have no trust in this vehicle. We're in the middle of nowhere. I have no idea how long we're going to be in this car for. I just want it to end. And it just continues it just continues to go and go and go and you know then we have this kind of i guess crazy peak to the story which i'll let ryan tell you guys about yeah so one of the the other drivers that we had passed with another tour group um had hooked our car up and pulled us out and something had broken on the car and this car is like held together by duct tape ropes strings and all that type of stuff so a driver is able to like go under and like tie something back together which we kind of anyone got a shoelace yeah yeah it's like we assume it's something to do with the steering and we're like okay like that was kind of scary we we all are sitting out of the car at this point so all eight of us gringos just on the side of the road and we're like okay like thankfully everything went all right like hopefully this will convince the driver to like chill out and just like get us there safely definitely did not happen so we get back in the jeep um and we just start driving again and you know again these it's like this I mean, it's like the the fable, right? Like the tortoise and the the hare, where this guy's like, oh, I'm going to pass all these cars that just helped me out of this ditch. Um, starts like racing down this road again, like a maniac until kind of inevitably um, something goes wrong again. Something breaks with the steering and we like slide off the road again into this muddy ditch. Um, at which point, again, we get pulled out and then the driver starts like going down trying to fix stuff. And so we're like, I don't know what's going to happen with this. He pulls some parts out so there's like i don't know if it's like a piece of the suspension or something he pulls something out leaves it on the ground i think he might be stressed because we're running so far behind schedule and so he's just like okay get back in the car let's go in in spanish of course <laughs> and so in our kind of like meager spanish we're like hey like there's still that part on the ground back there and he's like no no, no get in the car get in the car <laughs> yeah and so we start driving and then we stop maybe 15 minutes down the road in some small town and then he's like comes out starts looking around for his part he's like oh did do you guys see where that part went? And we're like, yeah, oh you left gosh. it on the ground back there. And he's like, oh no, Remember I need that I told part. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're like, we asked you about it and you said, get in the car. He's like, oh no, no, I need that. I'm going back. And we're like, what do you mean you're going back? Like we're already hours late. Are you just leaving us here? Um, and so we all just have to stand around, wait. Um, eventually he comes back, has done whatever he needed to do with the truck and gets us into... Um, this area where we're meeting for lunch and there's other tour groups who are going to the same area who left at the same time of us and have been there for hours like just wow. finish the lunch they're waiting around they're like oh what have you guys been doing this whole time um and we're like <laughs> just I, I we're like i don't even want to go back to we're in a bucket like let's just move to whatever this town is because i don't never want to get in one of these <laughs> again. But, okay we live here now <laughs> this is our new home yeah <laughs> Yeah. And so we finish up lunch and, you know, we get to kind of this dock port area where we're going to take our boats to get to the actual place that we're staying. And so this is like the most relieved I've felt all day at this point. Like, okay, I don't have to deal with this Jeep thing ever again. I don't have to deal with this driver ever again. Like, just give me my stuff. You don't get a tip. I don't ever want (laughs) to see your face again. And then so from there, we get in this boat. And everything runs smoothly from there. It's just like kind of adds to the story to be like, we've been on the road for ages. We've taken this flight. It's like been 
so hectic and we get in this boat and we're in the boat for like probably an hour. It's one of those like really low to the water, long sort of wooden boats that can fit a number of people and they put your stuff at the back. It's beautiful. It's stunning out there. There's reflections of trees. There's jungle. We can see birds. We can see all this wildlife. It's it's super, super still and peaceful, which is, you know, exactly I think what we needed after this hectic drive. But we're still like, oh man, we are not even there. Like the sun is starting <laughs> to set. It's like getting close to dinner time. And, you know, finally we arrived to this this lodge thing that we were staying at. And it's super cool. It's um basically above the marsh. So everything's set maybe like four feet above. And, you know, there's crocodiles down below, or I think they were probably caimans. And we could hear howler monkeys and we were able to do so much cool stuff over that weekend that really made that travel there sort of worth it. Like we got to swim with the pink dolphins. We got to fish for piranhas. Everything that was advertised, we did get to do. And it was this really cool experience. But, you know, throughout this time that we're there, which is a couple of nights, we're still like, we have to get back to the airport and we have to get Uh. back to La Paz. So we have to do this like whole adventure over again. And Ryan and I were seriously like, we'll just stay here. There's fresh fruit. (laughs) There's animals. We could probably learn to hunt. You know, we could learn to fish. We can just befriend the dolphins. Is that an option? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Can we walk back? But in my mind, I'm sort of like, there's no chance we're going to have the same driver again. Like there's just absolutely no chance that we'll get the same person. That would be so un-Bolivian and so un-South American for us to be, have such an organized system that we would have the same driver. (laughs) So we like get back into the boats to leave and, you know, we roll back up to this dock area and we get out and we see the Jeep. We see the blue Jeep. We see no, the man. That blue the same person. Jeep. <laughs> I was like, I am not going in there. That is not the, the vehicle I'm taking. But, you know, it's not really my choice. Like, I'm getting told to go in this vehicle. And so the same group of us, the same eight of us, get back in this vehicle to get back to Rurinabake. And I'm happy to report that our ride back was much smoother. I don't know if he had taken the vehicle to a proper mechanic or spent some sober time actually dealing with it without, <laughs> you know, like like zip ties and shoelaces and duct tape and stuff. <laughs> but things were a little bit smoother on the way back. We were able to catch our flight on time. We didn't die going back over the mountains. We got back to La Paz. And I am so grateful we had that experience because I am like 99.9% sure we will probably not go back to Rurinabake in this lifetime. <laughs> you can skip that. You've seen it. You don't need to go back. Yeah, yeah. Done. I was just going to say, and it's one of those things where like, so during that tour, everyone had the opportunity to swim, um, swim with pink dolphins. Like Amanda said, we woke up to howler monkeys going crazy. You could hear like caimans below us. We got to take a fish for piranhas. Um, one weird side note that um, the Czech guy who actually was on the tour with us, while we were fishing for these piranhas um, in a very kind of, at another a ghetto <laughs> fishing system, which was like a hook that you put in the water, actually had the pad <laughs> of his finger bitten off by one of them, which was a little <gasps> bit crazy. Oh. Um, but yeah, anyways, so all these amazing experiences, other than, of, of course, the guy with the finger issue. Um, oh my God, that sounds terrifying. Like swimming with dolphins, seeing saws, all sorts of tropical birds. But one of the things that we kind of like look back, maybe not fondly, but one of the memories that sticks with us the most is that just insane travel adventure to get there that we hated while we were on it. But like Amanda said earlier, 
we kind of realized from that experience, especially that those are often the moments that kind of stick with you the most that add so much color and flavor to your travels that the things that go really smoothly and really well often fade from your memory in a way that when things go haywire, they never fade from your memory. And so that for us was a really big travel lesson that we've kind of taken forward. So whenever things are going haywire on a tour we booked or like we're waiting for something to happen that's just not happening, um, but you kind of remember like, okay, this is the thing that kind of one of the best parts about travel is when everything goes wrong. And then you can also turn around and go, at least it's not the blue Jeep. And then it makes you feel better. Yeah. Every piece of transportation you take is not as bad as the blue Jeep. So there's always that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A hundred percent. I don't know if I'll ever like feel comfortable in a blue vehicle ever again. I feel like I have like mild trauma from that blue, <laughs> that blue Jeep. You're bashing my head, sweating my face off, having no trust in this driver. I feel like, <laughs> like I'm going to die. It's probably one of his best parts of his day, just driving around a bunch of gringos in the back and he probably sees those potholes and just goes full speed at them just trying to smash into him so you bump up and hit your head and he's in the front just laughing about it (laughs) it's probably his greatest joy to be able to do that and just watch everybody in the back bouncing around and have like the biggest headaches because that's like the when you're bouncing in potholes it just gives you such a headache and he's probably just like this is really fun Yeah, it was just mind-blowing, like, his way of driving. And it's like, even after we'd gone off the road, essentially a couple of times at that point, it's like he would still, we'd just get back on and he would just drive the same way, just ripping past all these other vehicles and not slowing down for bumps. And it was just so crazy. And, like, I remember going through one of the the potholes that sent us off the road and we ended up in this, like, big muddy ditch where we had to get pulled out. And the Jeep was like so unstable. Like I thought we were going to tip over. At one point, I remember actually there was like a little window. I was like, okay, if this tips over, can I fit out this window? Like, will I be able to get out of here? <laughs> oh my Start God. Start thinking so of exit scary. plans. Okay, where's the emergency yeah. exit here? How do I get out? What window can I smash? And who am I going to crawl over to save myself? <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. <laughs> That's so funny. That is crazy. The The thing with the piranhas remind me of when we were in the Amazon in Colombia, we were in Peru? Peru and we had been swimming in the river with our guide and it was really lovely and refreshing we were bathing, we were bathing. We were bathing. it was so hot it was really refreshing and then we got out um and got changed and he was like okay now we fish for dinner and in the same water we started fishing for piranhas oh man and i was like oh, I'm really glad I didn't know that they were in that same water before we did the fishing. Yeah, we literally come off the bank, get changed, and then just he just gets a boat and just pushes it out from the same bank. We're probably about five yards away from where we're swimming in. Just drop a line. We're going to catch piranhas. And then we're <laughs> pulling up these piranhas and they're like, eh, 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 on the end of the line. Yeah, but luckily <laughs> no missing fingertips or anything for no, us. No, no. <laughs> Not much meat on those piranhas though. Very skinny. They were very skinny. Did you have the skinny piranhas or the fat ones? Mm -hmm. No, yeah. Very much felt like bone and teeth. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not really. (laughs) It's a scary fish. It's a fun fun concept, fishing for piranhas. We like, we enjoy telling that story as well, but they're really uh, not much you can do with them. Yeah. Yeah. Also very easy, right? Like you put a little bit of fish on a hook and then you just put it in the water and then it bites onto it. You pull it back out of the water. Um, yeah, as soon as you feel you. a hook, you just pull out and then it's just there. On the, and I don't know if you recall, they made this noise. It was like a grunting noise when they're on the end of the hook. Do you remember that, Christine? Yeah. They're, they're just a scary fish. I just don't want to be near piranhas. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. 
Yeah, it's funny. We had the the opposite experience of you guys where we did the fishing for piranhas first. And then I think it was the same part of the day. We took the boat to a different area where the pink dolphins were. And our guide is like, oh, you can get out and swim with the dolphins here. It's like a great opportunity to swim with dolphins. It's just a rare thing to do. And I'm like, everyone else just jumps in the water. I'm like, I'm good. I'm not going in the water. We just fished for piranhas. Yeah, I'm kind of glad that we did it in the yeah, opposite yeah. order because I, I definitely don't think I would have gotten into the water if yeah, I'd not sure don't want to shower? No, nah, I'm good. I'll, I'll wait till we get back to, <laughs> yeah, you know, who I'm knows fine. when. <laughs> so I did jump in. I was one of those people who went right yeah, away. Good on and I, I felt like pretty confident because they had actually specified that the piranhas weren't there, that we were actually in a part of the river that like flowed in a different direction. Like I think the dolphins were in the the saltwater portion and the no the freshwater portion and the the piranhas were in like a saltwater portion or the, the the river was flowing in two different ways or something like that. And so he at least that's what he told us. And I was going to say that's like, what they told you. <laughs> yeah, the guide was like, "There's no piranhas here." I mean, I let like a couple people dive in first, but yeah, yeah I was yeah. like pretty quick after that because I figured that check guy just put his like, You're like Susan. Yeah, you Susan, got all your you fingers. Okay? You your f- show me, show me five fingers. All right, I'm coming in. <laughs> pretty much, I was like, well, you know what? We made all this effort to get here. I'm going to swim with the dolphins. So Ryan just got to be photographer from the boat. He was the only one who wouldn't jump in. <laughs> Nice. Well, swimming with pink dolphins, that is a very cool experience. So got to take advantage of that. Yeah, it sounds like it all worked out in the end. And like we were saying, you know, it's the fun stories to look back on. And it just adds that little bit more of a, you know, if travel was easy, everyone would be doing it. And it would just be too simple. And I think that those are the rustic adventures that, I mean, we were, we've both done a lot of time in South and Central America back 2010, 2011, 12. So, you know, when travel was a little bit more... I don't know, rustic in itself in general, but it's harder and harder to find those experiences these days. Things are just so much more manufactured. The tours, you know, you don't want a tour that just runs super smoothly. You want you want an experience and as long as it's safe, nothing too crazy <laughs> happens. Like those really are the experiences that make it interesting because you don't get those experiences in countries like the US and Australia and Canada because they're just too structured and, you know, you need a little bit of variance, keep you on your toes. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, that was a great story, guys. Yeah, thanks a lot for sharing that. Um, Hopefully, you don't have too many more experiences like that on the road. But honestly, at at this stage, I would probably trade that blue Jeep just to be out on the road at the moment because it's it's tough, tough quarantining. But thank you. We want to thank you guys for coming on the show today and sharing your story. Before we wrap up, do you want to pimp out yourself one more time and tell the Voyagers where they can find you, any projects you're working on or how they can get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having us on and giving us the opportunity to relive this story and and have some laughs with you guys. And if people want to learn more about us, they can find the podcast on any major podcast platform. So just search The World Wanders on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts from. And then you can also find us at theworldwanders.com. And if you have any questions, comments, feedback, want to get in touch with us, you can email us at info at theworldwanders.com. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much and stay safe on the road. And if you're not, make sure you tell us about it. Cheers. Thanks so much, guys. guys. Hey, Voyagers. Thanks for tuning in to another one of our Voyager Chat series over the Not So Bon Voyage podcast. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you like this episode, want to support the podcast, and want bonus content, head on over to Patreon, where you can join the community. It's patreon.com slash notsobonvoyage, and there is a link in the episode notes. So super easy. Easy. Bye. Bye.